I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome our listeners back. This is Felicia, your host. We have our guest today is Mr. John Dawson. He's Vice President, Chief Operating Officer of the Community for New Directions which is a nonprofit organization and serves the youth and adults with a variety of educational prevention and leadership programs. Welcome, Mr. Dawson. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, do you mind if we call you John throughout the, the rest of the interview? Please call me John. Okay. And I have with me today, of course, my favorite co-host, Mr. Ernest Kelly. Hello, Ernie. Hello, Felice. John. John, would you please share with our listeners a little bit about yourself so they can kind of get to know you and how you came about working for the Community for New Directions and how the Community for New Directions came about? Again, I'm John Dawson, Vice President of Community for New Directions. I've been in the field for about 25 years, and I started out uh, working at a larger agency called Mary Haven, and that was in the early 90s. Uh, worked there several years. Uh, and began contracting, doing some contract work with Community for New Direction, uh, and just liked the feel. Uh, the former director there was Latanya Lemon, and a good friend of mine was her associate director. So he left the state. Uh, he's, he's now our CEO, but he left the state because he loved working with kids, and he reached a place at the state of administration and no longer had any contact. So... Latanya got sick shortly after he came, and she passed, sadly passed. And so he took over, and he needed support. And so we talked, and I knew that was an area I was very interested in. At that time, I was the outpatient director of substance abuse services at Mary Hayden for youth. I took over the program, came, with, came to C&D, and began uh, to work with Greg Jefferson. That's his name. That was in 2007. And so at that time, we had maybe these. Today we have 56. So we've grown tremendously. We also at that time were in about eight different schools doing alcohol, tobacco, and violence prevention. In doing that work, we taught kids how to not be bullies and, and how to manage confrontational situations without violence. We taught them the harms and dangers of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. And we did that with age-specific information. So you may have a five-year-old to seven-year-old that learned that smoking cigarettes made your teeth yellow and made your lungs gray. But then you may have a teenager that learned higher societal problems that smoking caused as uh, higher medical costs higher insurance for society. So we taught a range of services in that manner of all, uh, alcohol, tobacco, other drugs, and violence. And we did that. Uh, we're up to about 21 schools now. We're back then, we were, like I say, in about eight. We also do mentorship in school, and it's called intergenerational mentorship. So the concept of that is to have an elder work along with our staff. So you have an elder, you have a middle-aged staff, and then you have children. And so the elder's role was to be that person of wisdom, that person that um, could talk to a kid as a grandparent, calm them, and uh, they'd even go to classes with them. If the kid just came to school with a bad day and uh, it was apparent to everyone around him, instead of him being sent home, he would be sent to our employee 
who who actually was more of a volunteer than an employee, and his name was J.D. McCauley, uh, and he just passed recently. Very sad for the agency, but he volunteered for, I don't know, 20-some-odd years. And so that that's the foundation of our treatment, of our prevention. And to tell a little bit more, we started in a two-bedroom apartment in 1989 in Sullivan Garden, which was probably at that time the most impoverished community in Columbus, uh, very high in drug dealing and drug use, very high in teenage pregnancy, very low in high school graduation. And there's a probation officer that noticed the trends, and he reported up the line. So four entities got together and applied for a demonstration grant, and we got it for $45,000. With that $45,000, we started a program to intervene on those uh, societal ills. Uh, we found out quickly because we were given incentives for people to for kids to come and participate that most of those kids were taking the incentives that we were giving them and going buying more drugs, continuing to have underage, unprotected sex. So we came back to the drawing table and said, let's start with a younger age, and let's prevention instead of intervention. And we began that. We began doing an after-school program, and within a year, we were getting reports from the local schools that whatever you guys are doing, these kids are bonding to school much more than they've ever done in this community. And so we thought we had something, and um, we continued it. We incorporated in 1994, and um, that was a West Side office. We were primed to grow. We worked with a funder, and we ended up opening up an East Side office. And from that, uh, today we serve over 1,500 kids a year in many different capacities. We have after school, in school. We have summer day camp. We have something called a vision conference, which is like a think tank. We have a college tour where we take kids, 35 kids every year all around the country. We, we primarily visit HBCUs, but we visit traditional schools just as well. They're in that vicinity of an HBCU. And if you could see these kids' eyes when they walk on a college campus for the first time, never thinking that they'd ever be able to do that, for one, but then to see kids that look just like them actually in school, and to go to the cafeteria, quite often we'll eat lunch there, and they can sit and talk and realize that these kids could be my brother, sisters, cousins. They're no different than me. They just went to school, and the people I know did, but it's possible. They're listening to the same music. They're dressing the same. Um, if you think about a multi-state tour, most parents, even middle-class parents, can't afford to take people to two or three states. Uh, and visit six to eight schools in a week. So that that's kindly our beginnings in prevention. Uh, it continues to grow. We don't advertise. Everything we do in regards to prevention is word of mouth. Our summer day camp grows within, uh, or not grows, but uh, reaches its capacity within a day of enrollment. We open up enrollment, and other than this year with COVID, it's always filled within one day and we start a waiting list. That's how, how much people tell each other how great the program is, and, and you don't have to boast. The numbers themselves speak for us. Well, I know that with you being on this program today, like you said, you don't do any advertising, but hopefully we'll plant a lot of seeds to our listeners. John, you said you guys are in, like, 21 schools now, and also 
Are you out in the suburbs or is it mainly uh, just Columbus? Great question, Ernie. We're in Southwestern City Schools. We're in Reynoldsburg City Schools. And we're predominantly in Columbus City Schools, so both. And the schools that you're in, what's the youngest that you guys will take a kid in the program? Are you in? Okay. We're, we're currently in 21 different schools. Both schools uh, are inner city schools as well as suburban schools. We serve kids from five years old to 18 years old. So that's elementary, middle, and high school. Um, John, we have a, another one of our co-hosts. Ms. Tish just came in on the line. How do you incorporate the parents into the services um, and helping their children with their mental health issues or even the parents with their own mental health issues? Well, good, good question, Tish, and thanks for asking it. Everything we do with a child, parents are involved. So build relationships. If we, we, as soon as we register a child in a program, within that first week, that parent will get a telephone call from their facilitator of the child. They'll introduce themselves. They'll let them know that I'm going to be working with you or you. Is there anything I should know? Uh, a very friendly, this is who I am call. And so we do that because we don't want the first call to be a disciplinary call. Someone calling to say your child's not behaving appropriately for this program. So, we, we begin to get to know them. We pick kids up and we take them home. So we introduce ourselves or we speak. We offer parents assistance when needed. Uh, we do anything we can because we don't want a youth that we're serving uh, to not have basic needs met at the house. If there's a substance use or a mental illness in the parent, we then just refer them to uh, our adult programming. If they're not willing to do that, then we just continue to encourage as long as naturally the child is not in any danger. But we believe that you can't work with a child without working with the parent and most often the family. If the child has siblings, you could do great work in a safe environment, but then once the child is exposed to an unsafe environment, a lot of what you worked on just goes away because that's the environment that feeds him and clothes him and shelters him. So right. you have to involve the parents and say, this is what we're working on. Can you support that? So we, we try to take a team approach. Um, your after-school program, how do they work? And I would like you to particularly talk about your, your one program, the Future Opportunities Program, the FOCUS Program. Uh so we we uh, we have after school programming for kids five years to eighteen years old. Each one meets twice a week, and again we give them alcohol, tobacco, other drug and violence uh, education. Then we feed them a hot meal, and then we take them for recreation. Typically happens with all the kids that are five years old, fourteen years old. If you're fifteen. At 18, then you enter into a program called FOCUS. And our FOCUS program is a young leadership program. We do a lot of service learning in that program. This past Saturday, uh, we had a group of young people who prepared goodie bags for nurses and physicians at Mount Carmel East. So they came up with the idea. They came up with the how-to. 
we helped them financially to make it happen. Uh, we drove them out to the hospital. Nurses came outside to receive the gifts. They were very, very appreciative. And it was really just, again, a service learning project of trying to understand what frontline workers are going through for us to be safe. And uh, so that's the type of programming we do. That same group is, is the primary group that goes on college tours. We have about a 98% college admission rate on seniors that go on our college tour. So uh, we're very proud of that. If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. We also bring in uh, speakers from different uh, career tracks to kindly allow the kids to know what's possible uh, for them to become, you know, not just teenagers. There's a lot of people in their early 20s, sometimes 30s, that are still lost in not knowing what I want to do in life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, what we try to do is, is present enough where they can begin to get a feel of what it is I like to do. We've even taken kids to, um, there's one school I have in mind called Full Sail, where in today's current young person environment, hip-hop and rap and recording and videos seems to be a huge interest. Well, they understand that from a layman's term or from a layman's place, just what they see in the city of Columbus, people doing it on their own. But Full Sail is a, a school where if you watch credits of every major movie, every major record, there's somebody from Full Sail on it. So from the recording studio to the TV studio to the movie studio, uh, our kids were able to go and watch how that all happens. And, and again, it's something that they would never have been able to do had it not been for the support of Community for New Direction. The, the services that they provide are wonderful. And I happened to work with one of your prevention specialists last year um, with a couple of, of difficult students um, at the particular school that I was at. And so I'd like to thank you personally for those services that you provide. Great. Thank you. We we try. You know, we, we really are a very selfless agency, and most people that know us uh, know that. Uh, from the top bottom, top to the bottom, we're all one team. We don't believe in big eyes and little U's. We believe in whatever it takes for us to help our community become a better community. We're on board. I'd like to ask a question, John, in regards to reviewing your mentoring uh, programs. You teach the kids how to say no. So tell yes. me a little bit about what brought that about. What I mean, because that's, that's pretty big. That's pretty mighty to be able to teach a kid to say no because there's so much persuasion out there to get a kid involved in something that they shouldn't be involved in. 
and teaching a kid to say no, I think that that's pretty big. So, okay, you know that that's a great question, Felice, and it becomes an art. Kids today, and even a lot of adults, live on ego. Ego stops people from not being able to say no because they don't want to look a certain way. They 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 want to keep this image. That's a false image, but that image has allowed them to become a part of uh, different social groups. So what we teach our children is that the group may not be a bad group, and it's okay to want to be a part of that group. But you have to learn skills, and we call them refusal skills, not just saying no, but how do you learn to refuse things that aren't good for you and still keep your ego and still keep faith. So we teach them and we do a lot of role play and and look at different scenarios. If you're at school and there's a gang that goes to school and they're cutting class or they're going outside smoking marijuana and they ask you to come, you, you have a multitude of responses without just saying no and being teased or or picked on you can say you know i've got to leave i've got to go pick up my younger sibling my mom's working late today you can say we have a game on friday and i have to stay after and practice there's many different things that you can say and that's what we try to teach them are safe ways out uh if you're underage and you're being pressured about sex you know you you don't have to uh, again, appear as though you're not the end guy. You just let people know, I have something else to do. That sounds great, maybe another day, but today I have something else to do. And so they're really, again, it's called refusal skills um, that everyone should have. <laughs> Even adults. <laughs> yes, yes. John, I'm, I was glad to hear that you said that you guys have a waiting list. I was just wondering, how do you get the kids that don't don't sign up but need to be in this program, how do you convince them that it could benefit them um, in the long run? You guys are really good, and I just want to compliment all three of you because uh, you're asking me really great questions, and you're making this a very comfortable, enjoyable interview. So thank you. Absolutely. Kids like that, uh, it goes back to when I said we don't advertise. We challenge our existing kids. So if every kid finds a kid, then that program grows. If a kid's coming and just doesn't seem to like the program, we explore why. And then we begin to have other children give testimonies. I'll I'll mention one real quick uh, because we have have many. After they've graduated high school, they come back and like maybe volunteer to help. Is that kind of like where you're going? Yes, and and we, we, we actually even have them employed. We have, we have employees 
that grew up in the program since they were six and seven years old. And oh, you wow. can't get much you can't get much more than that, you know, when a person likes it enough to stay with it their entire life and then bring their kids. We we have in some places two and three generations. Here's one testimony, a uh, young child. CND has changed my life in several ways. Before CND, I had to drive but didn't know how to apply myself correctly. CND taught me how to grow and improve myself to become the best I can be. And then she goes on to say, uh, to me, CND lives up to its title of community. CND is much more than just programs. They unite all, all of their members and make them feel comfortable. To, to me, CND means unity. Then she said, I would recommend CND because you leave different than you arrive. CND changes you for the better, and you will never be unsatisfied. You know, and that, that's a nice small testimony from a child, uh, and that was a middle schooler. I'll give you one more. Wow. And this one said, I grew up going to summer day camp annually, and I can say that it's changed my life. Started attending when I was seven years old as a camper and just now finishing working my first summer as a youth worker. I look forward to coming every year. I've built a second family with my campers and group leaders. CND truly is truly a safe place for me to learn about the dangers of violence and substance abuse. CND also supports healthy ways of living by providing us with recreational and art activities, games, and many fun trips. I definitely recommend CND. It is a healthy way to stay busy throughout the summer and a great way to meet other people. The great environment makes you always want to come back. So we, so we have to, Yeah, in, in, in that way, uh, the biggest complaint we get about any CND program is the food. And that's something we can't control. <laughs> but that's the big complaint. Everything else is good. Mm. Let me ask you about your vision conference. Uh, mm -hmm. It says that you have that twice a year. So what is the purpose of the vision conference? Yeah, our vision conference, we, we serve 60 kids, 30, two times a year. And it really is. A think tank. So we bring kids in, in early November uh, together. Pre-COVID, we would take them somewhere close, Cincinnati, Kentucky, just get them away from the city and the family. And they would, they would make up small, three small groups, groups of 10, and talk about their aspirations, what it was they wanted to be or do in life. And they had group leaders with them, adults. And so the group leaders would challenge them on, that's great. What barriers do you have and what are you doing right now to prepare to do that? So there was a, a great assessment taking place. And sometimes we would make them walk it out. You say you want to be a doctor. That sounds great but do you really know what it takes to be a doctor? We don't want you saying you want to be something and you're not willing to 
put in the commitment because you want to be a doctor and this guy over here says he wants to be a teacher. We both, we get you both in college. He's studying to be a teacher and you see him going out in the evenings. You studying to, to be a doctor, you don't have time to go out in the evenings. He graduates in five years and he starts working. At five years, you're still eight years from graduation and beginning to earn income. Are you committed? You know, is that something you really want to do? Uh, and, and so after that, we talk about, like I said, those barriers. Uh, we find that there's very smart kids that want a lot out of life that don't, don't have a home to support it. So parents can be a barrier in the sense that there's no help in homework. Uh, science and, and education has changed so much that they don't know how to help. Or there may be siblings in the house that are playing and running and just living life, so home is not a good study place. And so we intervene and we talk with the parent and say, is it okay if your child studies at the library every evening? Because they're not able to focus and concentrate here at home. Uh, or it may be a drinking parent. Someone mentioned earlier about parents having issues. Well, again, it's our role to say to the parent, it makes it very difficult for a child to focus on themselves and education when they love someone that's not doing so well. So is there something we can do to help you so we can help your child? So the vision conference is named in a way that we want to look at kids' vision for life, but do it in a realistic way, challenge them with barriers, and allow them the floor to say whatever it is they want. And, and we um, set up a line of adults and we let them role play as if they're talking to their parents, their teachers, their grandparents about anything that is stopping them from being or getting where they want. And so they're able to get it out. And once it's out, we document it and then we help them go and somehow remove that barrier. So it's a very intense day and a half. Well, it's that time again, and we hope you will tune in to next week's show to listen to part two of John Dawson from the Community for New Direction. As a reminder to find out more about the Community for New Direction, please visit their website. You can also call them at 614-272-1464 to locate a center near you. Once again, thank you for listening, and peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Faith Thomas F. D. N.